0: All right, amen. Let's take our Bibles now. Children ages two, three, four. Once in a while, a five year old sneaks in. Can be dismissed with Mrs. Barron at this time to go down for the children's church during the message. Two, three, four year olds be our guest to go down for children's church while we take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter number 18. And I would like to uh, call your attention down to verse number 24. Verse number 24. Tonight for a little while I want to look at the glorious conversion and use of an educated man. The glorious conversion and use of an educated man. God could use some guys like this in the body of Christ. Christ. His name is Apollos. There's just very little said about him, just this little bit of his conversion testimony and his character. And then a little bit over in 1 Corinthians, we find out he became a great leader in the church at Corinth. In fact, there were factions in the church where they were saying, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas, I am of Apollos. And Paul had to deal with that fault and said, look, you're not supposed to glorify preachers and you're not supposed to divide yourself into factions over who your favorite preacher is. But Apollos was one of those that had become very famous in the church at Corinth. And uh, But we read about his conversion here and also his character. And, you know, sometimes some really good character people become converted. Now, they don't have to all be down and outers. Uh, that the Lord saves. And God needs uh, some character people uh, to be saved and uh, use their lives for the Lord. And so we're going to look here beginning at verse 24, and we're going to go down through verse 28 tonight, tonight uh, about the, gro- the glorious conversion and use of an educated man Acts 18. Notice verse number 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos born at Alexandria. Well, that's all scrambled up. He's a Jew who's got a pagan name, and he's born in Alexandria, Egypt. And so what a start that is. Uh, uh, Apollos is a Jew. He's given the name Apollos, which is named after a false god named Apollo. But it really doesn't matter what your name means as long as it's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen? That's what matters. Even if you don't like your name, as long as it's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that's all that matters. Make sure your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. Make sure you're dead sure about that. Or don't even leave the church tonight without finding out if you belong to the Lamb. The Lord Jesus Christ. His name's Apollos, and he's born in Alexandria, which is Egypt. And it's probably there that he gets his amazing education. He's extremely brilliant uh, and has a great, great use of his mind and his language skills. And there's nothing wrong with being educated if it's if it's tempered by the Holy Spirit and by the Lord's work in our lives. And we can use some very educated people in the body of Christ. It says here that he was an eloquent man. An eloquent man. That means he was very, very skilled in his speech. Eloquent means to be persuasive, to be fluent, to be graceful in speech or writing. Vividly or movingly expressive. He was an eloquent man. You know, God can use some men and women who can speak well. You know, there's power in speech. I want to encourage you tonight to look at Apollos as an example to follow and determine in your heart, man or woman, to be able to speak well. I want to encourage you, for instance, to memorize a good gospel presentation and be able to have it fluently come out of your mouth as you talk to people. You know, it tells us several times, I think it's four times in the scriptures, that in order for a person to be converted, they must understand with the heart. That's what it says. It says they must understand with the heart and be converted. It would help and assist in the understanding of the heart of the lost sinner if the person who was talking to them was making sense. God could use that. Have you ever tried to listen to somebody that doesn't make sense? They're not eloquent in their speech. There's nothing wrong with being eloquent in your speech. There's nothing wrong with working at being a good orator. God can use that. God can use a man or a woman who makes sense, no matter what subject they are talking about. The Apostle Paul said that in his ministry he used great plainness of speech. Now, we're not talking about impressing people. We're just just saying, let's work on our speech. In our case, let's work on our English. Let's learn our English well and be able to talk to others about it so people don't say, what's he talking about? Or what is she talking about? Now, over all of this, we must remember the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4. It says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power. Okay, we we all hopefully know that. But God is a God of order. Let all things be done decently in order, and even our speech should have order to it, so that if we're trying to win a soul to Christ, we're making sense from the beginning to the end of it, and the person is comprehending, understanding with the heart, so they can be converted. I want to encourage you, if you're a Sunday school teacher, to try to become eloquent in speech. Man or woman, assistant. If you're working in kids' clubs with children, try to be eloquent in speech. If you're working with uh, preaching or teaching opportunities, try to be eloquent in speech. If you're standing in front of senior citizens or prisoners or whatever, try to be eloquent in speech. They will appreciate that. They will listen. There is a better chance for them to understand with the heart and be converted if they're lost or understand with the heart and apply the Word of God that they have learned in their lesson, their preaching, their kids' club, their Sunday school class, junior church, whatever it is, if we can be eloquent in speech. God could use people who study their speech and constantly ask themselves this question, am I making sense? Am I making sense to those that are hearing me? Apollos was an an eloquent man. That's good. We need eloquent men and women in the Lord's ministry. I've heard some liberals who are very eloquent, men and women politicians, and they convert thousands and hundreds of thousands of people to their way of thinking just by their eloquence. They're they're all wrong. You scratch your head and say, I can't believe this person believes that, but when they eloquently present it, they get followers. There's power in having eloquent speech. And mighty in the Scriptures, mighty in the Scriptures, that's the next thing we see here in verse number 24. This guy, as an unsaved man, studied the scrolls. Obviously, the New Testament wasn't written, it was being written, but, but but, this man knew his Old Testament. This man must have spent time in the Word of God, and and, and and even though he was growing up in Alexandria, Egypt, which had nothing to do with Christianity even to this day, uh, he was able maybe to go to a Jewish synagogue down there in Alexandria or whatever and, and, and study the scrolls, and it doesn't say he came to know the Scriptures, but before he was ever saved, he was mighty in the Scriptures. Now, I've heard men today who can speak fluently about baseball. I don't understand baseball. I've never. There's a science to it. If you've ever listened to some... Uh, uh, announcer announce a baseball game from beginning to end the things they say about pitches and defenses and all that kind of stuff they, they, i mean there's a science about it and some people are into that science and they can speak fluently and 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 they're they're just mighty in the knowledge of baseball football whatever I mean some people can speak really uh really I guess the word is mightily in an educated way about a lot of subjects you know we need some people who are mighty in the scriptures not wimps in the scriptures not ones that say uh, go talk to the pastor but those that have searched the scriptures and known the scriptures and know how to use them as a sharp two edged sword I don't know if you uh, ever watched fencing or not I had a drill sergeant in the army who was the North Carolina state fencing champion. And to see the skill, they don't just go, you know, like kids with Nerf, you know, swords whacking each other. The skill, the discipline they put into using the sword skillfully is a picture of the Bible student. We are told to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and be able to use it. And in every case we can possibly come into, as it tells us in Proverbs 15, in verse 28, the heart of the righteous studieth to answer. And we should be able to have an answer that just flows out of us with every single question that is posed to us. The heart of the righteous study the answer. We've we got to get somehow over our cell phones, tablets, laptops, televisions, sports, and somebody has got to get their Bible out and become mighty in the Scriptures. Mighty in the scriptures that can use the scriptures. It's like the Ken Ham illustration I've used before, where he was given a lecture. Ken Ham, uh, (coughs) I think, is mighty in the scriptures and very knowledgeable about his subject of science. And he was given a lecture to a big, big crowd, and a hippie came down afterwards and, and said, Huh. And Ken Ham said, Huh, what? A Christian with answers. Like he was shocked. Because up to that time in his life, he'd never met a Christian with answers. All Christians should have answers. It should be one of the motivating factors for them reading the Word of God, the Bible, every day, is to have answers for people who rightly got, they've got all the right in the world to question us. Peter Tell told us, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Every one of us should determine I'm going to be an answer man. I'm going to be an answer woman. And Where I work or where I go to school or in my neighborhood or or if, if somebody's got a question, I'm going to have a biblical answer. I'm going to be able to wield this sword like an expert and have an answer for everybody that asks me. And uh, we we need that. We've got to have people like Apollos who are mighty in the Scriptures. Now, he came to Ephesus, verse number 24. This is quite interesting because Ephesus is 500 miles <coughs> as the crow flies north of Alexandria by sea. you got to cross the Mediterranean Sea to get there. What his earthly reason for going to Ephesus is, we don't know, but we know there's a heavenly reason in it because God is setting up something. God is setting up something in his life because from the east, 800 miles, uh, is going to come a couple of tent makers named Aquila and Priscilla from Rome, Italy. Italy. You can read about them in verses 1 and 2. Acts 18, 1 and 2. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. Now that's a horrible thing that has happened to Aquila and Priscilla. For one reason, one reason only, they were kicked out of Rome, kicked out of their homes, kicked out of their business because they were Jews. They um, had to depart from Rome for that, the only one reason. Now, and, and sometimes very, very terrible things happen to believers. Sometimes terrible things might happen to you or me that we think might be the end of the world, but God might be setting up something. God may stick us in the hospital someday with a heart attack, stroke, some kind of an emergency, just so we can cross paths maybe with a nurse, hospital personnel, or a person in the bed next to us that we can witness to them. And so they get run out of Rome. Rome. Why? They're Jews. That's called prejudice. That's called prejudice. We don't want any Jews in our city. Get out. And so they go, if you read the rest of the chapter, and where do they end up in? They end up in Ephesus. Who else comes to Ephesus? One from the south, 500 miles to Ephesus. One from the east, two of them. Pessoa and Aquila from Rome, Italy and they're going to have a divine appointment. You know, a lot of times God's just setting up something. That's what missionaries do. Some missionaries go from this point on the, on the globe to this point, while other people come from this point to that point, and they get to lead them to Christ. It's amazing. Sometimes marriages are contracted that way, where God takes one person on this side of the world, puts them with that, someone on that side of the world, just to show everyone He can do it. So you can get the glory and honor and the praise. You see, God might be setting something up in your life right now. I don't know what it is, but it's for a divine appointment with somebody. It's always to help others. It's always to help others that He's doing things in our life, what may be good or what may be, uh, to us, bad, evil. Sometimes He lets us go through things. I know my dysfunctional home and all the abuse I went up with, uh, uh, in and how my mom died of cancer when I was four. I've said this a hundred times. I can't tell you how preparatory that was at that time. I didn't see God in any of that. That's what I thought. What's God got to do with any of this stuff I'm going through? But it was preparatory to make me a minister someday who would meet a lot of people who are dealing with cancer and mortality and death in their families or abuse. And I'm able to tell them, you know something? Our family turned to Christ through this. And we found Jesus Christ was not only our Savior, He is our healer. He can heal the broken heart. And so God sets up something and gets them to Ephesus. Now, verse 25, This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. What a guy. This guy is amazing. Before he's even saved. This man is instructed in the way of the Lord. Now, of course, the way of the Lord is just really being introduced to the world at this time. And he was introduced to all the knowledge he could possibly receive from the forerunner of Christ, who was John uh, the Baptist. It says about him, he was instructed in the way of the Lord. He he knew he, he had as much light as he possibly could to this moment. And he was fervent in spirit. This word fervent refers to water boiling over and rolling I mean, when you see water boiling over and rolling, this guy was not lukewarm. All right, This guy was not cold. What he believed in, man, do you see the JWs on the corner, every corner in Hamburg? Those people believe in what, what, what they believe. I mean, those people are so more devout than probably most of us. That they would stand there day after day after day after day after day hoping people would... Stop. Get their literature, or, or or scan their QR code, or something, and join them. Those they're devoted. Man, it's hot out there, and they got masks on and everything, and they're looking good and sharp. The women are looking good and sharp, and they are devoted. They're not saved. Neither's Paulos. yet. But boy, there's people who are unsaved that are devoted, and they can serve as a model for us. So he 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 knows a lot about the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he's red hot in spirit, I mean, he is on fire, he believes in what he believes in, and in the spirit refers to your emotions and your feelings, I mean, he's on fire, this guy is like alive, he is alive if you met him. It says, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. He spake, that means to people one on one, and taught to groups. And he was diligent in telling them the things of the Lord that he knew. But he knew only the baptism of John, which is only half the gospel. Because the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance. Look at chapter 19, verse 4. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance. That's half the gospel is repentance. It's a good start, but it's half uh, the, the, uh, the gospel. Uh, what's the other half? Turn to chapter 20 and verse 21. 20 verse 21, Acts 20 verse 21. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. There needs to be repentance. Nobody can get saved without, being, without repentance. What is repentance though? Repentance is a change of mind that is wrought in a man or a woman or a boy or a girl by the Holy Spirit regarding two things. Number one, their sin. And number two, their dead works. Their sin. When God works repentance in us, when it's truly wrought in us by the Holy Spirit, we go from thinking, I'm not that bad, to... I am lost, and I need a Savior. That's repentance, a change of mind. Now, real repentance will, I believe, eventually lead to a change in character, or lifestyle, or at least attempts. But that's not repentance. That's the fruit of repentance, the changed life, the changed behavior. But true repentance is when there is a change in mind wrought in us where we go, and say, we go from saying, well, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not that bad, to saying, man, am I lost? I'm in trouble. God, have mercy on me. Forgive me, Lord. Save me. Repentance of sin. There's another repentance that's wrought at salvation, and that's repentance from dead works. Hebrews 6.1 says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Repentance, faith. Repentance, faith. Repentance, faith. These are wrought by God. These are not works of the flesh. This is wrought by God the Holy Spirit in us. What do I mean by repentance from dead works? Well, all the works that man tries to do to save himself are dead. There's no life-giving power in them. You can be baptized. You can take the sacraments. You can take your first Holy Communion. You can give to charity. You can say prayers until you run out of breath. You can read the Bible. You can give to charity. and, And you can do all these works thinking that they'll bring you life someday. But they don't. They're dead. In fact, they're not only dead. The prophet Isaiah said all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags compared to Christ. And so a person who says, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll believe in Jesus, but I'll also, uh, uh, you know, I got my church and I got my religion and blah, blah, blah and I'll do this and that and, and so on and so forth. And, and, and he's depending in himself even somewhat. I'm re- I believe in Christ 99%, but boy, I got to do this. Nope. That's not salvation. It's not salvation. Salvation is when you've got all your works here and you're trusting in them and you're hoping God looks at them and says, yeah, you've done a lot of good things. I think I'll let you into heaven. And then the Holy Spirit changes your mind and says, nope, God doesn't think like that. And you turn your back on all your dead works. And you turn solely toward Christ and His works when He died on a cross at Calvary. Repentance from sin... Repentance from dead works, absolutely essential for salvation. My brother George had a big campaign amongst the uh, uh, Buddhists in Worcester, Massachusetts. 450 came and heard a preacher. And uh, boy, hundreds of them raised their hand, I'll accept Christ, I'll accept Christ, I'll accept Christ. They just added Christ to their other gods. He said, one family changed one family went home, got all their idols out of their house, destroyed them, started coming to church, got baptized, started following the Lord. They're the ones that repented of dead works by the Holy Ghost's work in them and their sins and trusted Christ and became new creatures in uh, Christ Jesus. So we see here that he's diligent. He knows only the baptism of John, which was a baptism of repentance. That, that was great. It was a forerunner. Uh, It was getting people prepared for Christ. It's just sad, though, however, that the the followers of John the Baptist didn't listen to him. In chapter 19, uh, verse 2, there's a different group here, about 12 guys Paul's witnessing to, and he said in verse 2, "'Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed?' And they said unto him, "'We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost.'" And he, Paul, said unto these twelve, Unto what then were you baptized? They said unto John's baptism. Now notice what Paul says. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, that was preparatory, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him that is on Christ Jesus. Now apparently a lot of John's followers didn't hear the second part. Paul said, John said you should believe on him that should come after him that is on Christ Jesus. So Paul, John was preaching the true gospel, but they were only hearing half of it, the repentance part. And so these heard and were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, verse 5, and they got that, saved, they got that settled. And uh, then God used them. Now, that's the same thing with Apollos. He's, he's very close to the kingdom of God and his knowledge. Uh, and, and God, look, we, we need to load kids and teens that come to our church with Scripture. Uh, your children, too, because uh, teach the Bible at home. In- instruct them because later in life, all the Scriptures they learned when they were young can lead to their salvation when they're older like Apollos. I think Apollos knew so many Scriptures when he was lost that it all made sense to him when he heard the Gospel. And he believed. You know, that's the problem with America now, that we're biblically illiterate. Uh, It used to be 40 years ago. I remember when I started, people knew the Bible. They knew the Ten Commandments. They could recite them. And you weren't behind the eight ball trying to witness to people today. People don't know it's wrong to commit adultery. They see it on Hollywood every day. They don't know it's wrong to steal and to kill and everything that's all the they see is violence and murder and all this kind of stuff. and The law is needed today. The preaching of the law because the law is what gives power to sin and makes us lost. It condemns us. Nobody's ready to get saved till they know they're condemned. So Apollos knew the Scriptures before that thief on the cross. Remember him that got saved? Did you ever study his doctrine? Man, he was loaded with good doctrine. Somebody had talked to him before he got to the cross. You study out what he said. He said to his buddy on the other side who was dying, he said, You know, we deserve this, but this man's done nothing wrong. He knew Jesus was perfect. And he said to the Lord, When you come in your kingdom, remember me, he knew Jesus wasn't going to just die and stay dead. He knew he had a kingdom ahead of him. And you study all the doctrine of that thief on the cross, and somebody prior to that moment had instructed him in the ways of the Lord. See, we need to instruct people in the ways of the Lord. Our children, our grandchildren, neighbors, whatever, give out tracts, get them to church, bring them in on buses, whatever. And even if they don't get saved, the Scriptures later will help lead to their salvation. Very important. The sowing of the seed of the word of God. It's not wasted time. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue who when Aquila and Priscilla had heard. This is funny to me because here's this extremely intelligent, educated man and here comes some tent makers. Just got thrown out of Rome. Some tent makers. You know, a lot of educated people would say, who do you, you think you are? I grew up in Alexandria. I went to the best schools in the world, my day, and your tent maker's going to tell me I'm wrong. But this is what's amazing about Apollos is his humility. His humility, no matter how much he learned in his life, he was still teachable. He was still teachable. Are you still teachable? Am I still teachable? I hope so. I love looking at stories in the Bible of humble, teachable, adult men. I love that. I love adult men that would come up to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray. We're a mess. We're a wreck. Lord, increase our faith. I love it when adult men are still humble and still teachable. God always does something wonderful for them. I want to encourage you adult men. I don't care how old you are, or what your studies have been. I don't care. I don't care. I really don't care. Be humble and teachable and say, Lord, show me something. Aquila and Priscilla, a bunch of tent makers, heard him, took unto him and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. That's a simple conclusion to our story tonight. I mean, they were just there, the tent makers, and said, listen, listening to him in Ephesus. I don't know, they got together in the synagogue or whatever, and they're listening to this guy, and they say, boy, this guy's diligent, this guy's educated, this guy's eloquent, this guy's mighty in the scriptures, this guy is zealous, wow! But boy, he's a little short. He's a little short. And afterwards, I don't know if it was afterwards or what, they went up to him and said, sir, can we talk to you? He said, sure. He says, you're just missing one thing. And he was so teachable. He said, yeah, what was it? And they expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. We know what that means. They preached Christ. They said, we're glad that you've gone as far as you have with John the Baptist, the forerunner. That was his job, was to bring you to Christ so you could believe in him now. You need to take that step. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, notice this, exhorting, verse 27, the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. Now he's got the same zeal, but the full message. And he's helping others to believe through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the Scriptures, that Jesus was Christ. And we know the rest is history because it goes on to tell us of the great work the Apostle, or, or I'm sorry, Apollos did uh, for the Lord in the first century church. This is rare. The Bible says not many noble, not many mighty are called, you know. This is so rare. Wouldn't it be nice if, if, if everyone was like this? A lot of Americans are so proud. They think they know it all. Would to God they were like Apollos. And I want to encourage, God needs educated people. God needs eloquent people. God needs people with answers, people who are zealous, people who can teach diligently the things of the Lord and and teach and speak boldly in the synagogue, in the house of God, out on the streets. But we also need to be humble enough to realize every man is my teacher. And uh, we got missionaries coming Wednesday night here for midweek service. I don't know them. But I'm going to sit there and say, this guy knows something I don't know. He knows something I don't know. And my job is to be here to find out what it is and learn from it. Shall we bow for prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank You for the glorious conversion and the use of an educated man. Lord, the story we just read is so rare. Because your word says, knowledge puffeth up. And in most cases, knowledge and earthly wisdom will make somebody proud. But in this story, we saw the power of the scriptures, very scriptures he was studying. Lord, we, we, we just thank you that he had that in his past. Somehow in Egypt, he got that. I don't know how, but. And Lord, help us to believe in the power of the scriptures, passing out gospel tracts. Telling people what the Bible says, giving people Bibles, what a difference it can make in them later in their life. And help us to believe that you are a God that can save those that are educated and can use them mightily. Lord, we need people in the body of Christ who are educated, eloquent, uh, mighty in the scriptures. Lord, I want to pray that maybe in the hearts of some in the congregation tonight, there'd be a decision made. Some man or some woman, some boy or girl would say, I'm going to have the answers for my generation. I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to study the Scriptures. Oh God, what this world needs, what our country needs is Christians with answers. Christians with answers. God, we need more Christians with answers. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and the piano begins to play a song of invitation, as we close this Lord's Day, Maybe God has spoken to your heart somewhere along the line during the message or maybe something totally unrelated. The Spirit of God's been speaking to you. Why don't you kind of seal that knowledge by making a decision. Maybe you'd stand to your feet, excuse yourself, come out down to the altar and just pray about what the Lord has spoken to you about tonight. Maybe you want to give your life to the Lord and say, God, I am going to be The one who studies to show myself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show thyself approved. Maybe you'd come as a boy or a girl, young man, young lady, to say, I'm going to have answers. I've been stumped too many times. I'm tired of it. Too many times I've been stumped by questions whether from atheists, agnostics, evolutionists, humanists, professors, teachers, neighbors, Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. I've just been stumped and haven't had the answer. Would you come and pray God help me tonight? And tonight would you just present your mind to the Lord? And say, Lord, I'm not going to waste my mind on my phone and tablet and laptop and movies and just endless whatever. I'm going to be a thinker. God blesses thinkers. Do we have some thinkers tonight? Come and say, God, here's my mind. Train my mind to be eloquent, to be mighty in the Scriptures. Well, amen. Just want to read one more Scripture now before we go home in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 14 uh, I believe it is um, I just thought of a scripture I quoted study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth then 2 Corinthians 10.18, here it is. It says, For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. And boy, we, we need we, we, we got to have some students just who give their mind to God and say, God, use my mind to mightily convince this confused country, the people I meet, with the things of the Lord, to have answers for them when they ask me questions. so All right. Appreciate you being here tonight. The Lord bless you. It's a busy week. If you get any chance to go up to camp meeting, there's information there. Family Festival should be a great time. That's Saturday. Next week's our church picnic. Hope you'll come for that. And we'll have a kind of different day in the house of the Lord uh, next Sunday. But uh, may God go with you today and off to school or work or whatever you do this week in your neighborhood and use you there. You're dismissed. Let me know if I can help you in any way. Thank you for coming tonight. Amen.